to Constructed Futures. I'm Hugh Seaton. Today I'm here with Zulk Malik, founder of Smart Build Construction Solutions. Zulk, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Hugh. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this for a while, so I'm excited we finally got to make it happen. Let's start with what Smart Build does. So Smart Build is a construction management solution company that provides construction management solutions for general contractors or subcontractors and soon-to-be-launched designer platform. So we've catered tools that are focused towards the various interconnecting bodies that actually help deliver construction projects throughout the world. So I love that. And, and there's this idea about connection you just talked about. Tell me what you mean by that. What I mean, look, there's a lot of ways you can connect a lot of information and workflows and you know, so, so on and so forth. What's the main focus? Or let me back up and say, where did you start? So just to give you a little bit of background myself, myself there, Hugh, I've spent the last 27 years in the construction sector space. So I started off with hard hat and steel toe boots as a lowly coordinator on a job site, worked my way up to being director of construction. And then in 2005, I set on a journey of having my own general contracting company. I was able to grow that and scale that. I mean, scale from a technical perspective, but grow the construction to a reasonable size. We at one point had north of 20 project managers and coordinators, a number of active sites on the go doing projects like airport constructions, airport additions, design build facilities, did a fair bit of pumping pumping stations and, and various projects like that, institutional facilities, prisons, and got to really experience and appreciate that even as, as late as 2022, contractors typically are not embracing technology the way other sectors have. We predominantly use computers like typewriters and adding machines. So, you know, we use it for simple word processing and, you know, we use Excel, the most basic function where we put a bunch of numbers in and we hit Sigma and we add up the, the columns or the rows. So we saw that in 2008, when our company was growing, I needed a more, call it robust way of keeping a track of what my team was saying to me and whether it was true or not. We went out looking for a product and couldn't find a whole lot back then. Now the landscape has changed substantially, but really a lot of the tools that were made and continue to be made are made by people that don't have sector experience or sector knowledge. So it's usually somebody who I, I was building a house and I want to go, uh, I've got a great construction management software. So we're seeing tools that are getting developed that say, hey, it's one ecosystem and everyone's going to touch this ecosystem, which is it works in certain scenarios. However, no one's building a tool that says, hey, this is for your company. How do you make your company efficient? And as a general contractor, one of the things that I always appreciated was I like sophisticated subcontractors. Because for me, a sophisticated subcontractor meant there was a higher degree of certainty on a job site, which meant schedules are going to be under control a little bit better. A manpower delivery is going to be better. So that made a general contractor's life easier. So we said, hey, wait a minute. If my subcontractors are sophisticated, I'm going to be sophisticated. So as long as I do myself sophisticated, there's a tool for my subcontractor to be sophisticated. As far as the contract delivery side is, that, that comes together and that synergizes. So we built two distinct platforms, which were the G smart GC and the smart sub. So we're saying, hey, subcontractors, you're probably the most important peg in the equation. If you're sophisticated, you've got your job under control. Do not worry about what the GC is trying to use as a software. Organize your own company. So we've created, I mean, call it ERP-esque solution for both subcontractors and general contractors. We say, hey, listen, everyone's still connected via email. So how do you make that more sophisticated? How do you stay on top of all the variables? And everyone says, well, you know, we track RFIs, we track changes. We do it differently. We say, hey, 
it's due, but it's due in 48 hours. So we've actually put algorithm in the background that says, this is when the turnaround duration should happen for various tasks. And that's predicated on 27 years of industry experience. And I don't know, I'm going to say somewhere about seven to $8 billion worth of construction later to say, when shit goes wrong, these are the reasons why shit goes wrong. All right. We're soon to launch, I'm going to say our smart designer portal. We're looking to have a Q2 launch in 2023 with that. We're saying, hey, there's one missing element, the consultants that exist in the market space, the ones that are not as large as some of these multinational firms, they need to be on a platform so that when they're receiving information, it's coordinated, consolidated, and it'll give visibility to the senior members of the firms to say, hey, here's my problem errors. And if I don't address them, we're going to end up in litigation. And when we get to litigation, I can tell you this, after being in a number of lawsuits where we came out ahead every time, there are no true winners. Everyone at that point in time is a loser. Whether you're the owner of the project, you're the design firm, you're the general contractor, you're the subcontractor, the only true winner is the lawyer. It's interesting that the lawyer even sometimes says, guys, don't go forward. I don't want to win like this. You know, I, I had a conversation with someone, this is a couple of years ago, and the lawyer says, well, you know, I really think I, I, you know, my client has a really good case. And I looked at him and I laughed. And he goes, well, why are you laughing? I go, hey, dude, if you don't say that, you don't have a client. Number two, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that from someone, I said, I personally would be beyond the millionaire status. I'd be laughing my ass off going, thank you for all the nickels. I'm super rich. I said, you guys don't know construction. And when contractors go to their lawyer and says, he's going to help me solve the problem or she's going to help me solve, I can't even say he or she, they're going to help me solve the problem in today's day and age. They barely know construction. They just know contract law. Well, and you bring up a, a really good point that, that is, you know, looking at your website, talking to you, you've got this, some really funny videos on, on the, the key website, which I encourage everyone to go check out. But there's a rich sense that you started with how construction really works and really dove into that. So part and parcel of how you developed product and how you think about features and all the rest of it is really rooted in what people are actually going to do as opposed to what seemed good on a whiteboard. Want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. You know, people seem to think that RFIs are just questions that turn into answers. RFIs are the start of losing money or potentially making you money. But in most instances, there's a start of losing money. You've actually asked a question when you're in the middle of a process of doing something. When, when you know, this has been the common complaint from owners and consultants. Well, why didn't you review the drawings in advance and ask me the questions before it was necessary? And they're saying, well, nobody really looks at the drawings until they start the work. And nobody looks at the specific details until they're physically going, oh, how do I build this? So the fact that you have to stop and ask a question, the stop clock is on. You are losing time. You're losing money because now you have to pivot. Okay. The sense of urgency should be predicated around time and money because time you can never recapture and money you either will make some more or you'll lose it. But time, there's no variable that will increase time or give it back to you on this planet. So every instance in construction, whether you're asking a question, you're resolving a pricing issue, you're dealing with a shop drawing processing, and, and COVID's taught us a lot about shop drawings and submittals, okay? If you don't do them on time, you're not going to get your equipment or material anymore. I mean, I've heard over the last year that large air handling units will arrive to site, but they're missing the microprocessors, so they can't use the building control systems on them. So what good is that? So when contractors start taking the concept of, I'm not working, I'm organizing packets of information that will either A, lead to schedule changes or increase my profitability, they will start to say, hey, I really do want technology. 
is no longer about holding a hammer in your hand and, and driving it onto a nail or a screw gun in your hand. It's more about if the information doesn't flow, the end user, which has the tools in their hands, they can go forward. And so when we developed everything that's around Smart Build, we say, hey, listen, so what? So if we're going to build a tool, we'll tell you why we built it, what the rationale is, and, and how it impacted us. And we've had, you know, fortunately, I had a number of friends who were lawyers that were in commercial litigation, and they got an opportunity to say, hey, listen, while we were developing, can we give you our suggestions? When we're a lawyer and we go look at the file, if your information is disorganized, we spend hours assembling that information in organized packets. You're paying us for that. That's really interesting. We don't do it for $40 an hour. Okay. We do it for three, $400 an hour. If I've got to print documents for you, I'm charging you 50 cents a sheet. Okay. Highway robbery costs like three cents to pull it out of your Xerox. Okay. But they're charging you for that time. So what if we create a dashboard so that every event is a dashboard so that I, as a third party can come in and audit that dashboard and say, this is relevant. This is not relevant. And then if I need the data, I can press one button and take out the data that I need right away. So they had an opportunity to influence our presentation of information and say, hey, it has to be palatable for the user. But more importantly, if I have to step in as a lawyer later on down the stream, can I click a button and get the information I need on one screen? Can I see all the messages? Can I see the history of the event? Can I see who's touched it? Can I see who's been emailed or communicated about it? Where's the history of the documents? I need that in one screenshot. I don't want to bounce around from platform to platform to platform because I don't have that time. Yeah, that makes sense. So you talked about a lot of the inputs, and I love that you you actually talk to lawyers about how your information is presented that you know ultimately may or may not make it into a lawsuit. I think that's really cool. As you guys think about continuing to grow the product, what's your process of, of digging in and making sure that it's useful for the, the field? So we, we've been fortunate where a lot of our frontline staff are all construction people. So site supers, project coordinators, project managers, estimators. So it's not just, oh, Zolk knows all this about construction. No, Zolk kind of got out of touch with a lot of facets of construction. As I moved up the ladder, I didn't do shop drawing processing. I never did as built. I was removed from all that. So we have a lot of influence from our team where we meet quarterly and we say, okay, listen, Let's do our product roadmap. If I had to build a series of products, what's my return on my investment going to be as a tech developer? But more importantly, what pain am I sorting out? So we had that meeting last week in the office. We put it all over the whiteboards and we said, hey, here's our list, right? And we said, okay, the deficiency tool is a great tool to have built into our platform. But before we can build that, is it more important that I deal with the as-builts? Because quite honestly, contractors are never going to populate the deficiency list. They wait for the consultant to tell them, here's a list of all the shit that's wrong with your job site. If we were to actually instrumentally teach contractors, say, make your own deficiency list, that is such a large cultural change. But if I give them a simple tool to create their as-builts and their closeout documents, that's a tool they need right away. So we're able to prioritize tools because a lot of us have gone through the pain of assembling closeout documents, doing as-built records if you're a subcontractor, trying to compile all that data for the last 5% of the job, which takes 95% of the energy. So we're constantly evaluating, do we need this? How will it benefit us? Is this something the client really needs? Or is it just that, oh, it'd be nice if we had it. That makes sense. 
So Zog, I'm looking at, at the, the Smart Build platform, I'd love to just go through what you guys have. And so I'm, I'm looking at some critical completion monitor and some messaging and reports and all that. Let's do a quick little tour without obviously going too deep because people can't see what you mean, but what, what's in it? So what's in it? We, we give you the ability to manage not only the, the element side of the construction, we give you the ability to manage the human talent. So we actually do have an HR portal built into the platform that allows you to manage the training records and various HR related functions. Without the human talent, the projects start to fall apart real quick. So for our subcontractors, very essential, very elemental that they've got somewhere where they can take their HR filing cabinet and make it digital. We've even given them the ability to create a safety card that has their own logo on it with a unique and specific QR code so that if somebody wants to check their safety records or their training records, they can pull them up with a flash just by using the lens off your phone. Okay. As we advance through the system, we obviously, everybody's got a contact database. We have a contact database. We've integrated what we call our smart messaging. What the smart messaging is, it's more than just an email tool. It's a tool that allows you to continue to interact with the entire platform. So it's not a situation where you go to Outlook and you generate your email and it's static there. We give you the ability with our smart messaging system to, hey, an RFI came in. How do I continue that transactional process with that RFI? If it's an invoice, because we do have a financial portal, how do I continue managing that invoice so that I get it to the stage where it's approved? I can pass it off to the accounting department. It's theirs to manage from there forward. So our messaging tool allows you to continue utilizing the platform while you're sitting there and in depth in your message center. Because most of us, and I'm sure you do this too, Hugh, you live in your email account for the larger part of your day. And then you click to go somewhere else. So we're saying, hey, no, wait a minute. If we make this central, then you're here. You can continue doing work while you're in your messaging center. We do have an Office 365 integration so that we've built a layer that sits on top of the Outlook account. So you can open your Outlook account in our environment. You don't have to abandon Outlook because God forbid you abandon Outlook or, or Gmail. Okay, you can continue to do that workflow right from our from our interface. Okay, so as you leave the message center, you jump into a project. We've basically delineated the left side and the right side. The left side typically has all your project management side. So when I say project management, I'm talking more of the office corporate management. So you got your RFI change management module where you can actually price the changes right out, managing of site instruction, shop drawings, generating your own meeting minutes. And we've taken it a step forward. Our meeting minutes don't stop with just generating and issuing them they're interacting with the calendar. So when you issue a task and assign a person that responsibility, if they're external to your environment, they'll get a meeting request with a task in it. And internal to environment, it'll be put on your calendar and things to-do list so that you can knock them off as opposed to attending a meeting on a routine basis, go, oh, I forgot to get that done. I'll get it done for the next meeting. And as you move further to the right of the platform, we start to get into the, 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 the site deliverable side. We believe safety is an integral component of project delivery. So we've actually put all the site reporting, the safety reporting built into our platform. We've got a very robust safety solution that allows contractors manage the safety element. Different regions in the States, different regions in Canada value safety differently, but they're all coming to one common conclusion. A safe site is a productive site. So a lot of tools are being implemented for safety. We don't believe safety is a standalone product. Safety belongs to the, the, the project. So that when you're measuring and assessing the value of your project, safety is buried right in there. We've got tools for project photos, documentation, all of that is there. And we also have what we call our smart markup tool. So we've taken our flavor on how to manage drawings by taking us a step back in time. We're saying, hey, there is vellum paper, which used to be tracing paper. We're treating 
the base set of contract drawings with a series of layers that you can manage that have been pre-formatted and color-coded to resonate with the industry so that you can continue to do things like RFIs, changes, as-builts, shop drawings, all from drawing management so that you can put layers on top so everyone that's on the team has access to it. One of the fundamental differences on our platforms, whether you're a subcontractor or a general contractor, is that the solution's built for your company. We do encourage you to maybe invite some third-party elements. Predominantly, this is for you. This is not, oh, I'm the GC. Everybody from the subcontracting world is going to log into my platform. No, you're a GC, manage your business. Subcontractor, manage your business. So we don't have that dependency that says, oh, I hope the consultant is going to log into my environment to see it. We don't put that burden on anyone. Yeah, I love that. And again, I'm struck by how... You go out of your way to think about the tools that people are using at the different interfaces. So stuff that's coming into you, you're thinking about what that looks like and how someone's going to operate, but also what you produce. So, you know, the documentation and the fact that you're kind of integral to the tools that people are using now, whether it's Outlook or something else. But there's a real focus on meeting people where they are and then leaving them where they need to be which I really appreciate. I think that that gets overlooked a lot as people are developing software. They make sure that their software works, but they maybe aren't thinking as hard about what the handoff is going to require. Obviously, people do APIs all day long, but that's not what you're. What I'm seeing. You Obviously, there's APIs in there, but what I'm seeing you do is say, no, but the way the document is organized, we're thinking about how it might get used later, especially with a view towards risk. And, and when, they, when people need documents six months later, it's because something went wrong. So you're thinking about, yeah, exactly. You're thinking about, well, if something goes wrong, what are they going to need these documents to look like? I think that's just really cool. We built a very simple solution around the necessity to have a description on photos. You cannot upload a photo without a description or reason why. And our a number one thing that we hear first is, my guys aren't going to do that. They're not going to put a description for every photo. I'm like, as easy as it is to take a photo, trust me, we'll show you how easy it is to provide a description. And there's a threefold benefit to that. A, you don't get a lot of useless photos because we don't need roaming photographers on a job site. B, six months, just like you said, down the road when you're looking at the photo and you're going, why do I get a picture of rebar here? What am I supposed to do with that? Now you're actually trying to figure out why you took that picture. So that description provides you a quick snapshot of this is why I took a picture. Third benefit is that when you go to share that photo, you could be sharing it with your client. You could be sharing it with the owner of the project. Your description provides the label for what the file is going to be named. So when they look at the photo, they go, oh, yeah, I know what this photo is for. It's not image one, two, three, four, five, six, underscore eight other characters where people go, what is this one for? And we have to open up a thumbnail. No, this gives you a description right away. So one simple tool like that serves the benefit of not just the person who took the photo, but the person who's going to receive it and understand and evaluate the photo much later into the equation of the project. Well, it's useless as evidence if it's not labeled and it's not indexed somewhere, right? It's just a picture someone took of some bent, you know, metal. <laughs> that's exactly it. And, yeah. you know, I think everyone believes that if I ever had to go to court, and, and we speak to a lot of clients and say, no, I avoid litigation at all costs, which is great. But that means litigation is at the back of your mind. I've, I've had the opportunity of meeting judges and lawyers. You know, their construction expertise is visiting Home Depot on a Saturday morning and taking that two-hour workshop. So you're putting your fate in someone that, didn't go to school for a technical degree that has only accumulated experience based on a attending Home Depot or hearing cases before them. They really don't know the nuances associated with how to assemble 
and build. Whether it's a weather constraint, it's a labor constraint, a material constraint, it could be a physical constraint. They don't appreciate any of that because they don't have that physical experience. I'm up in the Northeast. People don't know what it's like to build in the middle of January, unless you've been on a job site where it's, you know, minus 20 outside and, you know, your, your fingers are gone numb, right? It's interesting. Things like that don't seem obvious when you're in a warm courtroom, even if it is in January. No, you know I mean, like the practical reality of, of numb fingers that, that are, are just not as dexterous as they are when it's 70 degrees out is the sort of thing that you just, to your point, you just don't think about. Really interesting. We, we had a situation where in the middle of discoveries for one of our last projects, which has taken seven years to get to that stage. And the lawyer goes, so what? We had the polar vortex in 2013-14. I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, why, could you, why couldn't you work on site? And I said, well, you can't start a generator. You can't start heavy equipment because it's so cold. The hydraulic lines would snap and break. The steel is so brittle when it's minus 30 outside that you don't dig. The ground is rock hard. So please tell me, what did you expect me to do in something that's considered once every hundred year weather phenomena that no one's even got documented history on? And somebody goes, yeah, I remember it was really cold. I'm like, okay, but it was really cold while you walked to your car or walked inside of your building. When you're on a job site, you're on a construction site that doesn't have heat outside yet. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, let's shift gears a little bit to what it's like using your product, specifically what the onboarding process is like. Let's say somebody says, you know what, Smart Build sounds amazing. I want to use it for my crews. What does that look like? So we're, we're happy to say that you don't need a two-week training certificate program with ours. Our system development, he spent a fair bit of time with contractors in the field, on-site trailers and all that. We've made the platform so you don't have to hit pull-down menus you don't have to go searching and how to figure out how to navigate. We've given you the button, so it's obvious and easy. So our UI UX makes training roughly about two and a half hours, and you're up and running on the platform. As recently as two months ago, one of the things that we found was, hey, it's different for every company. Why is it so? And then when we found us that, you know, customers get excited, they see the platform, they want to buy it, they sign the contract, and then onboarding starts to drag on for 60, 90, 120 days. And we're getting little packets of information. And before you know it, people are now lost that euphoria uh, about why they got the platform. And they're going, well, this is becoming a burden. So we've recently transitioned. We say, hey, listen, smart build is going to help drive the adoption for you based on what we believe are good quality metrics for your company. So we have some experience on technology. We have a lot of experience on running a company. I, I've lived through the pain of making my team adopt it. So we're going to lay out the path for you to adopt. So we're finding now customers that signed on in October, their team is fully functional and running. And we just started November. So within two weeks, they're getting 80 to 90% of their users adopted and involved and heavily engaged in the platform. Well, that's great. And to drive that home, what we've done is we've said, hey, listen, you don't pay for a customer experience manager. You don't pay for training. That's our job. That's the value we bring to the equation. So our customer experience managers are all former contractors. They've done some in the role. So they're able to connect with your team. So when they're having the communication with you, it's not, I, sorry, I don't understand what you're doing. It's more of, okay, no, this is how you do or handle that situation specifically. So that helps decrease and now what we found is the last batch of contractors that, that signed on between, you know, late September, early October, they're going, wait a minute, we appreciate you driving the bus for us. Okay. We've also taken an initiative where if senior management doesn't sit in on training sessions, we happily say, thank you very much. 
We're done with your contract. We're moving on with life. We're finding that a senior management that doesn't participate in training results in low adoption. That results in a, when we do our six month follow-up, well, my people aren't really using it. It's like, well, you're not taking it seriously. Why would they take it seriously? Yeah, that's the, that's the whole thing about getting anything adopted, right? Is that, that there has to be some sense that senior management thinks this is worth the effort and, and they're going to give you a little bit of leeway to take the time to learn it and, and kind of, you know, kick the tires a little bit. hundred percent, hundred percent. Are you guys in French as well? No, we're not in French as of yet. We are looking to build our French table, but thanks for asking that question, Hugh. No, I asked because you're, you're, you have a unique view that you really understand the North American market. Most of the time that someone in America who may or may not understand the nuances of, of Canada, and you guys have the ability to say, well, you know, we understand how to kind of build and how things get built in the U.S., but we also understand how they work in Canada, which is why I asked about the French thing. No, everyone's got a roadmap. Actually, it's pretty high on our roadmap. We just want to make sure that when we do deliver it, you know, so I learned French in school and I, I can actually speak proper French. In Quebec, they speak Quebecois and Quebecois is a dialect of French. Right. So as you can appreciate, every, every place in the U.S., every state has their own form of slang and construction. When you get to when you get to Quebec in in Canada, if you're in Montreal, which is very Anglo, so they've got a, a basically they call it Franglish, right? French and English mix. Yeah. Now you're not like what's your what's your table? Is it a French table? Is it an English table? Or is it a hybrid language table? And then when you get outside of proper Montreal and you get out into Dorval or even you go Quebec City, the, the language is now the slang has changed. So what good yeah. is a software if it doesn't match their local language? Right. And especially if there's ever been an industry where people, you know, kind of use their own language, it's this one. Even even standard stuff like what ERP means in, in construction isn't what it means outside of construction, which is which is funny. And so you, to the point you're making, it's not just translating, it's also really getting it right locally, which makes a ton of sense. Oh, it's, uh, you know, working in Massachusetts is a hell of a lot different than working in, in Texas. Yeah. And and both apparently speak English of some sort. One a little faster than the other. Awesome. So, so Zulk, what should people do if they want to reach out and learn more about you guys? Uh, absolutely. Take the opportunity to get in touch with us. Obviously, everyone has a website. We, too, have a website. So you're welcome to reach out to us on our website. I believe, Hugh, you're going to provide the details at the end of the podcast. Yeah. Reach out to me. I'm available on LinkedIn. I'm also available via email through the companies. And, you know, I have no problems sharing my direct work cell phone number, 416-990-3385. And I, I'm, I'd love to have everyone as my customer. But instead of assuming that I'm going to have everyone on the planet, if you have any questions that are related to technology and construction, I'd love to help guide you along the way because I believe it's time to give back to a community that gave me a fair bit. It's given me a great opportunity, great lifestyle, great career. I think that we, as, as people who are now transitioning to the senior part of the careers phase, to give back to the overall industry and say, hey, how do we help influence workforce development? How do we help influence change in the industry where people don't look at construction as an industry where it's, you know, it's all brute force. There's a lot of sophisticated things that happen in construction. And it's because of construction that other people get to continue to do sophisticated things. So I want to be part of that revolution where people look at construction as an industry, not as just a career spot, but a place where you want to groom your children to go into because there's a lot of exciting things that are continuously happening, but we can't do that if we don't have great advocates. The NBA's got advocates, the NHL's got advocates, the NFL's got advocates. 
we want to be an advocate for the construction sector, period. So I would love to hear hear and connect with anyone that just wants to talk about it. I love that. Awesome. Well, Zolk, thank you for being on the podcast. It's been great to have you on. Hugh, thank you so much. Look forward to connecting and look forward to meeting up real soon. Mm -hmm.